Welcome to this week's edition of This is the City, a podcast focusing on the politics, art, and culture of Los Angeles. I'm your host, Garen Kelsall, along with writer and producer Jonas Sosnowski, two Angelinos with a passion for news, dialogue, and our city. This week, we talked to the Vice President and Director of Organizing for the United Food and Commercial Workers, Local 770, about the current El Super boycott and its relationship to the living wage proposal before the Los Angeles City Council. And in the big question, we ask, high-rises, high-rises everywhere, or what's in a skyline? But first... We speak with Kim Kawasaki of the Little Tokyo Service Center about the organization and their plan to create a multi-purpose facility on Los Angeles Street between 2nd and 3rd Streets. Thanks for joining us at This is the City. I'm Garen Kelsall. We're being joined now with Kim Kawasaki of the Little Tokyo Service Center. Kim, how's it going? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Oh, no, it's a pleasure. So can you tell us a little about the Little Tokyo Service Center and what you guys do? Sure. So Little Tokyo Service Center, um, we are a community uh, organization based in Little Tokyo in downtown L.A. And we started off providing cultural services for the um, Japanese or Japanese-American speaking seniors that lived in the area. And over time, it just kind of evolved into not only providing these types of services, but also developing a community economic development arm of the organization. So now it's kind of this um, all-inclusive service organization, which includes social services for seniors, families, um, children, in addition to developing affordable housing for um, for low-income families. Yes, the Budokan of Los Angeles project is a project of Little Tokyo Service Center and has been for quite a while. It's got a huge history in the community, but we're actually making waves and progressing really quickly in order to get this done. It's a multi-purpose uh, facility that we want to build for the community and, you know, Southern California in general. Oh, awesome. And what is the facility? What is the plan? What's it look like? So right now it's got it's going to be developed on a 40,000 square foot plot of land on Los Angeles Street in Little Tokyo, and it's going to have two high school regulation basketball courts, community space, a, a commercial kitchen, um, in addition to having a rooftop park on the top. It's going to be a 16,000-square-foot rooftop park and community garden. Um, just due to the fact that being in downtown LA and especially in Little Tokyo, there is a lack of green space in the area. And I think something that people don't really realize is, you know, there actually are a lot of families and seniors that live in Little Tokyo, you know, for the last couple of decades now. So not having something like that accessible to them is, I think, really, really crucial for them to have in order to just build a future for themselves. And you mentioned that you guys have been working on this project for quite some time. Tell us a little bit, how, like, how long have you guys been at this and what have been some of the hurdles? Little Tokyo Service Center um, has been working on this project for about 19 years. It all started with a community focus group and it was kind of just put out the question, you know, what do you think the community needs? And they busted out a napkin and drew a gym and said, we need a gym in Little Tokyo. So from that point on, LTSC, Little Tokyo Servant Center, kind of took on the initiative to, to build this project. Some of the challenges definitely was 
finding a, a plot of land for to build on. You know, being in downtown LA and being in such an urban area, there aren't big plots of land that are available for us to build on, especially being some of them being privately owned. So we were working with the city, and back in May of 2011, we were able to get a ground lease for a plot of land over on Los Angeles between 2nd and 3rd Street. It's right next to um, the Little Tokyo Library. And so how far along are you in the project? What are your needs now to get it fully realized? So I've been a part of this project for the last four years. Um, Right now, we're in the midst of a $23 million uh, fundraising goal. And currently, we've actually raised over 50%. So we've raised $12.7 million. That's been in from public sources, individuals. um, And moving forward, what we really need to do is just finish out the campaign in order to, to break ground and get this going. We have a source, a funding source on that will come in to finish out the last 20% of the campaign. So we're really looking at around a five to $6 million goal um, to finish it out. And we're really excited. We'll probably be looking at foundations, individual support, as well as uh, identifying other public sources that we can hopefully um, potentially tap into. That's beautiful. It sounds like you're right there on the cusp. It's so amazing. We are. We are. <laughs> And so what do you think overall, like big picture, what does this mean for the community? It's 18 years coming. It's been what they said they wanted. What would it be? What would it feel like to have this dream realized? I mean, it's exactly what you said. This is a dream of the community that is coming into fruition and something that we hope, you know, with everything going on in downtown LA and especially in Little Tokyo, there's so many, um, you know, for-profit developments. And this really is probably the last community-driven project for the area. Um, And for it to be able to come in as the Budokan of Los Angeles and really sustain the the Japanese-American culture and history of this area is imperative. And it's so crucial moving forward in order to sustain, I think, and preserve the culture that's that's been here for 130 years amidst all of this change. And that's Kim Kawasaki with the Little Tokyo Service Center. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much for having me. We really appreciate it. We'd like to thank the Little Tokyo Service Center and Kim for sharing their vision for a community space for everyone downtown. For more information about the project and the current capital campaign, please visit This is the city.net. Mayor Garcetti proposed a minimum wage increase, commissioned a study to explore the economics of it, and has the Los Angeles city government pushing for the increase. Garcetti's proposal would create an incremental raise in the minimum wage for each of the next three years, with a goal of reaching $13.25 per hour by 2017. According to the Institute for Labor and Employment at the University of California at Berkeley, the proposed increase will affect 36.9% of workers employed in the city of Los Angeles at the end of the three-year rollout. Supporters of the wage increase cite statistics about the high cost of living in Los Angeles and the need for a sustainable income. 
Each year, the Center for Women's Welfare publishes needed hourly wages for 70 different family combinations. The suggested hourly rate is the amount that is needed to keep a family from relying on any form of government assistance. According to the study, an individual living in Los Angeles in 2015 will need to earn $13.81 per hour, over $4 more than the current state minimum wage. A single parent with an infant would need to earn $28.88 per hour, while a couple with an infant would need to each earn $16.55 per hour. Unions in the Los Angeles area have long fought for a living wage, often citing high cost of housing, child care, and health care, particularly for those in service jobs where benefits are not always provided. UFCW started a boycott of the supermarket chain El Super in December of 2014, a boycott that is supported by the AFL-CIO. Amongst the problems the union see with the supermarket chain is the lack of a living wage. We spoke with the vice president and director of organizing for the UFCW Local 770, Regal Valdez, about the El Super boycott and the need for a living wage in Los Angeles. Uh, my name is Rigo Valdez, and I am uh, Vice President and Director of Organizing for UFCW Local 770. Uh, we're working with the workers at the El Supermarket in the L.A. area to fight for a better contract. And you had an event today, Rigo, right? The 18th of February? Uh, yes, we did. Um, today we marked our uh, 100 community endorsements that uh, endorsed the boycott of El Supermarkets in uh, Southern California. Uh, based on the fact that they are not paying a good wage to their workers, that their uh, health care benefits are way too expensive, that they don't guarantee 40 hours for any workers, and that their sick leave policy is inadequate and far below what the law allows. So we have um, seven unionized stores uh, at El Super in Southern California. We are working with, with unionized workers uh, to ensure that they make a living wage. Um, you know, uh, you had mentioned the fight for 15 earlier. Um, most workers uh, at El Super, whether they're union or not, don't make anywhere close to $15. Um, you know, if uh, you're a top wage cashier at a unionized El Supermarket, you make about $12 an hour. In per, you know, in perspective, if you're a top wage cashier at Food for Less, you'll make seventeen fifty-five. The other problem that we have at El Super is uh, if you're a full-time worker under a union contract, you're only guaranteed 32 hours. Um, and we want that to be 40 for some people. In most of the uh, unionized grocery stores in Southern California, a good percentage of the workers make 40 hours a week and thus are able to make a living wage. That's not the case at El Super. And so um, many workers have to choose not having a second job because uh, they're not guaranteed their hours, um, and so they can't make ends meet. And so that's a problem. I think that uh, it's um, kind of a widespread opinion that you need to make more than $10 an hour uh, to um, to uh, afford to live in, in Southern California. And so uh, this company has to do better. If- and so for the organization, what's next in this uh, battle that you guys have? What's the next? So uh, we hope that people will go to uh, boycottelsuper.org and join the movement. All right. Well, thank you so much, Rigo, for your time. No, thank you. While unions fight for contracts at a living wage on a case-by-case basis, those in City Hall seem to think that a wholesale change 
would better serve the citizens of Los Angeles. A second proposal by four members of the city council, Mike Bonin, Gil Cedillo, Nuri Martinez, and Curran Price Jr., calls for the creation of a city minimum wage of thirteen twenty-five by 2017 and fifteen twenty-five by 2019. On the other hand, the business sector doesn't agree that a minimum wage increase will improve the lives of all Angelinos. The Los Angeles Chamber of Commerce voted during its September board meeting to oppose the mayor's proposed living wage. Instead, the chamber feels that a wage increase should be one part of a larger, more comprehensive plan to improve the Los Angeles economy. President and CEO of the chamber, Gary Tobin, said that the comprehensive reform should include increasing private sector jobs and bringing new businesses to Los Angeles. Additionally, Tobin stated that an increase in the minimum wage would not lead to an increase in jobs. Instead, he said that the mayor's proposal would cause small businesses to raise prices, lay off workers, cut hours, or move across the street into another city to avoid the cost increase. And now our commentary segment. The big question. When Los Angeles' City Hall was built in 1926, it towered over the rest of Los Angeles for over 40 years. It took decades before buildings higher than 13 stories became the norm. And for most of our recent memory, the U.S. Bank Building, at 72 stories, is the focal point of the downtown skyline. In a city whose skyline is oft considered drab and uninspired, the Los Angeles skyline has rapidly transformed in the past 10 years. Now, with the construction of the Wilshire Grand Tower, a structure that will be the tallest in the U.S. west of the Mississippi, we wonder what the ever-changing skyline means for the growth of Los Angeles. Will it really bring more residents? Or will they sit empty, awaiting earners with the capital to rent them and still eat food? Another huge change is the repeal of Regulation 10. The reason every building over 75 feet in downtown has a mostly, if not entirely, inactive helipad. Regulation 10 probably seemed like a good idea at the time, using helicopters to save lives. Just as now, repealing Regulation 10 for more creative design seems like a good idea. The proponents say architects will be able to add inspired ideas to new projects. We can only hope that that inspiration is something that stays in high repute, lest our fashionable idea of today ruin the classic comfort we currently enjoy. Thank you for joining us this week for a conversation with the Little Tokyo Service Center about their 19-year-old dream for a community center and a look at the living wage movement in Los Angeles, its economic impact on Los Angeles workers. Join us next week as we talk about the 6th Street Viaduct Replacement Project and try to escape Los Angeles. <laughs>
This is the City is written and produced by me, Garen Kelsaw, and my partner, Jonathan Snowski. Our theme music is by Taj Simmons. You can subscribe on iTunes or listen to us on Stitcher. The show is recorded in lovely downtown Los Angeles. Until next time, 